and welcome to episode 50, 50 of the 1099 for the week of July 11th, 2016. Somehow we made it to 50. Uh, now that we're at episode 50, I think I'm done with giving advice or talking about games media. This is officially just going to be the Pokemon Go podcast. So uh, I'm your host, as always, Josiah Nodden, and with me today for the first official edition of the Pokemon Go fan podcast is the senior editor at Polygon and one of the founding editors at the Rift Herald, Phil Kohler. Phil, how are you doing today? I have not touched Pokemon Go. So I feel I. like I'm in a real bad situation here. Yeah, I know. I know. You, you might not assume you signed up for this, but here's the thing: Pokemon Go looks real cool, but also real dumb. And right now, I'm bummed because if I search Pokemon it gets, Go, I'm just going to tell you, it gets a lot of traffic. So, like, maybe this is a good move for the podcast. <laughs> I think it's right now our top to story it. for the day has been Pokemon Go. I'm... Two top stories. There you go. Let's, you know what? Pokemon Go podcast. Let's roll with it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Look, I'm all about SEO. Gotta follow those numbers. I'm all about the numbers. I'm all about the statistics. I can't say shit about what's actually going on in it. Because right now, if I search Pokemon Go on my iPhone, uh, here's the top three uh, results. Ketchum by Ryan okay. Larson. Uh, next is, sure. <laughs> this is great, chat for Pokemon Go or Go Chat. Mm, uh, yeah. So that seems like there's, that's some good SEO too. And then uh, my favorite monster guest quiz pokemon fan edition which has in-app purchases so monster i have monster guest quiz monster guest quiz okay pokemon edition pokemon fan edition i'm sorry so i wonder uh, what other editions there are i want to get some of that there has to Is be like a okay. digimon edition there has to be a digimon um I, maybe they expand the horizons and they do some beyblade stuff like whose beyblade okay. is this Yu-Gi-Oh. Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, <laughs> probably there's a blue eyes white dragon uh special bonus question um i think that's the majority of it so the pro- I guess the problem here is I should probably not talk about Pokemon Go because I don't know anything about Pokemon Go. I'll, Neither I'll, of us do. I'll save that for future SEO content. Uh, Phil, how was your 4th of July? How you doing? Uh, my 4th of July was good. It was relaxing. Uh, I'm doing good. I, I have a, a slight annoying arm injury that I'm dealing with. Oh, um, and then uh, I, I kind of had a fall and injured my arm a little bit. And then on top of that... When I went in to get it checked out, they were like, oh, you know, we just noticed you haven't had a tetanus shot in like 15 years. We should probably do that, too. So they did that in my other arm. So now my left arm, my left arm was the one I fell on and my right arm is the one they did the tetanus shot. So now they're both very sore. Do so you that's like where I type with your mouth right now. Like what's the current? Yeah. Um, well, I have a I have a almost three year old son. I just make him write everything for me. Um, that's that's, that's not related strategy. to the injuries. That's just been that's why I I. <laughs> got a son in the first place who That's needs those arms when you have a son like this yeah. is oh here's a question uh completely unrelated to video games so i have a dog and i'm not going to compare me having a dog to you having a son but i'm going to do that actually sure because uh so when fireworks happen my dog thinks it's the end of the world and last mm-hmm. night she woke me up because for some reason people think july 5th is like the well i guess we might as well use the rest of these fireworks day so i woke up at 1 a.m and her entire body was underneath my bed which she's a 60 to 70 pound dog my bed is not very tall up so i had to unstuck her from underneath my bed at 1 a.m because she couldn't figure out how to get out does your child freak out when there are fireworks going on or is he all into it uh he's mostly into it um i would say so uh, children are like dogs for like about the first year year and a half Mm. um beyond that they they start uh progressing a little bit beyond dogs a little bit. A little bit. Um, so now he mostly knows what fireworks are and is into them. There was definitely a couple of moments. Um, you know, we're in the middle of San Francisco here. A lot of fireworks going off all night long on the 4th. Um, there were definitely a few moments where a, a particularly loud firework would go off. And, and Sammy, my son, would get a look in his eyes of, of kind of 
concern and he would look at one of us and say what was that noise and we had to kind of explain it's just a firework it was just a loud one it's okay see but at least you can explain and he'll like kind of get it when i tell my dog it's just a firework all she does is just stare at me blankly it's it's a real bummer I'm, i used to really like the fourth of july until i got a dog and now it's just i'm like that angry old man who's just like stop setting yep. off fireworks you're going to freak my dog out and she's going to pee on my carpet and then no one's going to. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely a little bit of that as well here. I almost tweeted about it and then decided not to, cause I don't want to be the cranky old man, but it was just <laughs> like, uh, there was definitely a point where I was like, can you guys just chill out? And like, like Sammy needs to sleep. He needs to go to bed at, a, at his regular bedtime. Did you just, did you stop? I, I almost tweeted about it, but I decided not to. Should be the name of like my autobiography. Like it's the most apt yeah. thing. I'm just like half of those things I delete. Okay. So, uh, other than the 4th of July. So, as I said, you have a new job at the Rift Herald. You're one of the founding editors, uh, which is a really cool thing. So, again, it has to be cool, but also somewhat stressful because now you have to likely balance that with Polygon. What has that been like to, you know, write for both sites and kind of balance what's going on? Yeah, so for people who don't know, uh, the Rift Herald is a uh, a new website that is a, a sort of collaboration between Polygon and SB Nation. It's it's focused on League of Legends in particular, and the idea that it sprang from essentially is we've been talking about esports for a long time. Um, esports obviously is getting more and more popular, mm-hmm. and we were very aware of the fact that at Polygon we didn't know how to cover esports in a way that made sense. Um, and I think that's not abnormal. I don't think any major gaming outlet has, has that figured out really no, at this point. Uh, IGN and GameSpot and um, Kotaku and everybody. Everybody is trying their own way for how to cover esports, and I don't think anybody quite knows how. Um, in in Polygon's case, it mostly came down to like we would occasionally cover big events like the international for Dota um, or or the World Championships for League of Legends, um, but we wouldn't. We would just do like a you know one headline devoted to the winner or whatever. It wouldn't be a lot of coverage, and it just didn't seem to be the right fit for our audience. Um, but obviously, these games are massive. There's a huge audience out there. League of Legends, in particular, was one that we started talking about last year, and we just realized like this is this is literally the most played game in the world. It has the most number of active players every month of any video game, which is crazy. Yeah, it's crazy, and and we had no one on staff playing it, and no one on staff covering it, um, which is like that doesn't make sense. Um, so we talked about it. We we pitched back and forth a lot of uh, different ideas for how to cover it and what we should be doing for esports. And eventually what we settled on was like, okay, some League of Legends stories make sense on Polygon, but a lot of them don't. A lot of stuff is going to be trying to hit at this audience that's much more specific to League of Legends, and the broader Polygon audience isn't necessarily going to care about that. Um, the the way we decided to tackle that was we looked at SB nation for inspiration. And this is something we've kind of always wanted to do, but uh, SB nation, you know, they have SB which is just their general sports website. And then they have a lot of spinoff sites that are um, devoted to specific sports, like, um, you know, like basketball or football. And even from there, spinoff sites devoted to specific teams within those sports. Um, we decided to do our own spinoff site uh, devoted to League of Legends. Um, right now, that spinoff site is under SB Nation, uh, but that may not be the way forever. Uh, but it, it is an, a collaboration, essentially, between us two. Uh, 
as the Polygon editor involved with the Rift Herald, I'm handling sort of more of the that broader stuff, the cultural stuff, the writing about game patches and writing about like weird, interesting bits from their culture. I'm working on uh, a a story right now about um, this group of people who decided to start, who are just like not very good players, mm. but really liked watching the esports stuff and decided to start their own league of like. League of Bronze is what they call it, oh, and it's their own league of like bad, <laughs> bad play like <laughs> players who aren't good. Uh, bronze is like the lowest level in ranked in oh, League of Legends. That kind of sounds great. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, but yeah, so that's a, like that's sort of my focus is like going at it from those interesting other angles and like covering a, a broader cross section of things. And then on the uh, the SB Nation side, we have Pete Volk, who was a uh, college football guy over at SB Nation, but really loves League of Legends um, and really wanted to get involved with this. He is kind of handling the uh, the esports side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have James Detour, also from SB Nation, who is kind of our social media guy, helping us figure out how to do Facebook and Twitter for a new site, which is scary. Um, but yeah, so together we're all, we're basically all coming together and working to try and like create this site that's like, Essentially, what we're trying to determine is what is the site that that the average League of Legends player wants? Um, how do we get the information that they want to see uh, and get it across to them in a very uh, nice, easy-to-read, high-quality format? Yeah, that has to be the challenge, is understanding what they want to see. Because like you said, if you had just have like the, here's who won the international, like they kind of already know that, and a lot of people are covering yep. that. And you need to have the right group of people who understand the minutia of League of Legends who understand, like, okay, this is what the, these people who spend, you know, there are people who spend every single, like, you know, a certain amount of time, two, three, four, maybe more hours every single day playing League of Legends. When I was in college is actually when I first, I have a level 30 character account out there somewhere. I played way too much of that in college and I fell off, but I know when I was into it, you're, you are kind of hungry for that type of content. But again, it's, it has to be difficult to understand. This is the stuff people want to see. This is the sort of information, maybe these like these little stories, like you mentioned, the more cultural stuff, or maybe the strategies. Like, what have you kind of found to be the most? You know, Pokemon Go is currently the hot shit on the internet. What's the hot stuff that you will have on the Rift Herald? What's the kind of stuff that hits well? There, we're we're still doing a lot of experimenting to figure out exactly that. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, like in terms of like the the in terms of esports, I think the thing that that we found so far is. Um, you know, people really want interviews. They want to hear what their favorite esports uh, athlete has to say about something. Um, so that stuff tends to hit really well, and we're we're trying to do a lot more of that. Um, in terms of just more general culture stuff, uh, we're doing all sorts of stuff, uh, all sorts of experiments that we're we're like I said, still gathering data and figuring out what actually works best or what people are most interested in. Um, but we have stuff like you know roundups of uh, fan art. There's a massive massive fan art community in the yeah. league of legends uh sphere and we're we're trying to put together a place where we could show off that really cool artwork and and have people who are creating it be excited that we're showing it off um cosplay obviously is one area as well um we have this incredible uh in, in incredible intern at the rift herald right now named julia lee who uh is doing a great job of that um Another thing on the esports side that we're trying is, like you said, just putting in the headline who won isn't necessarily what people are looking for, yeah. but calling out specific 
really big cool plays from games um and and then doing like a breakdown of like how did this play happen how did it work almost Um, like i mean a lot of people really gravitate toward uh if you look at sports center like those top 10 plays the big tackles the you know the 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 alley or anything like that and being able to not just show that but explain like here's how you know these two champions set this up here's how this person came and came from this area and come over and went to this lane and stuff like that yeah and it's it's interesting because obviously what's weird about esports is it is at that strange cross section between video game coverage and sports coverage and it's hard to figure out like what is it that you should take from sports and carry over to this what is it that you should take from video games and carry over to this? Mm-hmm. Um, our hope is by by pairing together some Polygon people and some SB Nation people that we can kind of figure that out, figure out the formula that gives us the best of both worlds. Um, and it's definitely a process, you know. It's something that I think we'll be continue experimenting with and uh, and be working on for a long time. But uh, so far, it's been it's been going well. Um, we're very happy with. Uh, with how the site is picked up for its first couple of months. Was there a concern about just focusing on a single game? Because, it, again, it's the the sports analogy thing could be tricky. It's like, is the League of Legends like, you know, a b- basketball and Dota is football, where they're separate sports? Because you look at, like, ESPN uh, is going hard in, like, talking about Counter-Strike and Dota and League of Legends and things like that. Smash Brothers, I think, is coming up, too. And Michael Martin is doing great work at Yahoo. I think our concern, honestly, is the opposite. Um, Our concern was that if we we tried to do one site that was just about all of them, that that would fail. Really? Um, Because if you look at it, um, there's been so many sites that have tried to do so many many sites that have sprung up that are just esports sites, general esports sites. Um, and none of them have really hit. None of them have lasted. Um, I guess we, we looked at a lot of different stats. We did a lot of research. Our bet, I guess, that we're making is, is that the general esports audience is very, very tiny at best. We, we are basically assuming that most people, most people play one or maybe two esports games mm-hmm. or follow, let's say. Um, one or maybe two esports games, and they want to read about that game. They don't want to read about. They don't want to go looking for League of Legends stuff and have to wade through a bunch of Dota stories. Yeah. Or uh, to use like something that's more different. You know, let's say they want to read about Counter Strike news, and then they have to wade through a bunch of Hearthstone stories to get to it. Um. So we we are uh, sort of of the belief that like the majority of people out there who who would want to consume this content want to consume it for their game of choice rather than uh rather than for just all esports. Um I'm somebody who's like I'm interested in a lot of different esports like I I watch Counter-Strike, I watch League Every year when the international comes, I watch Dota for a month. Um, oh man, I, I'm really into watching the fighting game stuff uh, when Evo happens. So I'm like kind of all over the place, but I don't think that I'm the majority there. I think I, I think I'm like one of the people who's like the exception. Yeah. Would you consider if this really started to thrive to expand and suddenly have a Dota site or a Street Fighter or something like that site, or do you think right now this is good enough? I think it would be awesome to do more. Um, you know, I don't know what the, you know, if or when that'll happen. I don't know. Um, there's certainly sites, you know, it's, it's anybody who follows me on 
Twitter or who watches the Polygon YouTube channel knows I, I adore Hearthstone. I'm obsessed with Hearthstone. Yeah. So like the idea of us having a Hearthstone site, I would go nuts for that. I would, I would be so into that. Um, you can just I, head that yourself. It's all you. Yeah, no, like I would be, I would 100% be like, I will write a story on this every day with no problem. You know, like <laughs> I, I would, I would be all over it. Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I think there's other opportunities. Like, obviously, Dota has a huge audience. Counter-Strike has a huge audience. Fighting game stuff is really cool and, and has a big audience as well. Um, or even something like Overwatch, you know, something brand new. Um, but, oh, but God, that clearly... sounds great. I'm all in on Overwatch and, right now. So, And the other thing, and, you know, again, this is all stuff that we're figuring out. Who knows where we'll go with it? Um, who knows what the timeline is, but I also think that like there's potential for like, we're, we're mostly focusing on esports stuff here right now because that was kind of the, the start of it. That's how we got into this discussion of like, let's try launching a separate site devoted to one thing. But I mean, I think there's room for stuff that's not esports as well. Like, you know, for a long time, a huge portion of Polygon's audience was incredibly passionate about Destiny. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it would have made sense at that time for us to actually do like a Destiny spinoff site. We'll I, see. I have a friend who, right actually before Titanfall came out, when it was kind of just at peak fervor, when everyone was into it, he started kind of just like a forum community, and it blew up for him, and it did extremely exactly. well for him. I think that kind of riding that, like, I mean, if someone would have done an Overwatch site, like right at launch, you can still do it now; it's super big. But right at launch, I mean, I'm usually not one someone who obsesses over a single game, but I I wanted to consume as much of that game as possible so I could get. Yeah, that. exactly. And and it's it's one of those games that there's so many stories out there. There's so many people playing it, and that means that there's so many interesting stories yeah. out there. Whether it's just like, you know, somebody making something cool based around the game, or you know, stories of people playing the game in an interesting way. Um, stories of people doing like all teams of one character, like just there's there's such cool stuff that I think for people who are really into that game, uh, they want to read about that stuff. They want a place that that collects that stuff, and yeah, I think there's opportunities there that um, you know we're not necessarily like set up to uh, to explore right away right now, but that I hope in the future that stuff like the Rift Herald will lead to us being able to explore it. Um, it's yeah, essentially more and more, and this is not just the Rift Herald, but this is Polygon in general. I think more and more we're just realizing that like um, targeting things towards the the communities that want to read them is the way of the future, right? Yeah, um, you yeah. know, it's 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 becoming less and less about like we need to be this broad news source that covers every single story and like. We've got to make sure we hit all of the release date stories and all of the trailers and all of the new screenshots. Um, the audience for that isn't there anymore, isn't very big anymore. I mean, I, I totally agree. And I think that kind of plays right into a lot of what I want to talk about, which is, I mean, you've mm-hmm. been a Polygon pretty much since the start, if not from the start. Uh, and From the start of the website, uh, not from the start of the process of making the website. Gotcha. But I, I, they started making it around January of 2012. Um, and I was brought in in uh, April of 2012 was when I started. And it has it has changed a lot, and you know, for a lot, you know, a lot of ways for better. Because, like you said, you have to you have to adapt. You have to figure out what works, what doesn't work. Um, I mean, you brought in uh, Julia, who's a friend of mine. I've worked with her before to be uh, entertainment editor, uh, and now you you know cover movies, TV, other forms of entertainment. Uh, yeah. How have those gone for you? Because 
there's always a balance with that. There's the balance of there's a lot of people who let's say you look at GameSpot and you think of I want I go to this site for video games and they started including additionally like other entertainment coverage and you're like okay how is this is this genuine is this something that they think oh well people really like Arrow and the Flash right now or The Walking Dead or Game of Thrones so they're trying to jump on the bandwagon it's it's got to be hard to kind of balance that in your mind so how do you feel Polygon has handled that so far Yeah it's definitely tough um I think one thing that we've had to our credit is basically from the start, we have said we're a gaming site, but we're a gaming site that covers other stuff too. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we sort of have the same model as the verge, uh, maybe to a, a slightly different degree, but like the verge is a tech site, but they cover so much more than just tech. Um, yeah. They, they cover all sorts of stuff and they set themselves up as that from the start. And that's kind of what we tried to do as well. Um, I agree with you that there's like, there's some risk, right. Of like, um, and, and we've seen, you know, complaints about this, like with, uh, you know, let's say a few years ago, right as Game of Thrones is starting to blow up, we're running a bunch of Game of Thrones stories. And uh, there's some risk of, of the fan base being like, well, like, do you guys actually care about Game of Thrones? Or is it just like, you know, people are talking about exactly. it, so you're going to run is a bunch of stories. SEO grab, or is this like genuine, these people, these editors care about this? Yeah, I mean, I think the the hope is that to some degree, the content itself makes it clear that we care about it. Mm. But also I think what you mentioned hiring Julia and we also brought in Susanna Polo, um, who one of the founders of the Mary Sue, um, she is incredible. She is leading our entertainment division, um, bringing in people who are focused on just doing entertainment stuff or primarily doing entertainment stuff is kind of part of our way of making it clear that this is something that's part of the site that we actually care about and that we're putting resources behind. Right. Um, we're, we're actually like, we have somebody who helps us who both, or rather we have two people who both write a lot of entertainment coverage and also help the editors who don't necessarily focus on entertainment coverage, figure out what kind of entertainment coverage they should be doing. That's smart. Um, and figure out like, you know, is this something that's worth hitting? Is this actually interesting? Are you actually interested in this? The nice thing, the nice thing too is like, and I think this is, it's weird that this, this shouldn't be, this should just be common sense. But I think for a lot of, uh, a lot of people who have anxiety about, um, the internet and traffic and all of this stuff, uh, don't, don't necessarily realize it. But, uh, one of the, one of the things that we've learned is honestly just that, writing about stuff we love usually brings traffic like usually that's what gets readers is when we're writing about something we actually care about and are passionate about if we're writing about something we don't care about and we're just doing it because it feels like we should um usually those are the stories that don't do well for us and people can tell i would like to think like you said people can tell usually based on the content uh i think yeah, giant absolutely. bomb is a fantastic example of people who you know, they play and love video games and know a lot about video games, but also they, you know, certain people love wrestling. So it's like, okay, let's talk about wrestling. Let's talk about these other aspects, you know, F1, whatever it is. And it, it just, yeah. it's a very, uh, it's very natural. And again, I, I it's a, think- that's a, that's a great example of the F1 stuff in particular. I was talking about a friend with it about it this weekend. I've never watched F1. I haven't listened to Giant Bomb's F1 podcast yet, but I'm about to start. And I was talking with this friend who also had no interest in F1 until Giant Bomb started covering it and then realized that it was really cool and got super into it. That's awesome. Um, and it's something where, like, 
for the longest time, I've looked at that and I'm like, wow, how does it make any sense for you guys to have an F1 podcast? I was the exact same way. Talking to this friend, it kind of hit me like, oh, it's it's just something they genuinely are really passionate about. So they decided to, and that that's exactly it. Is it's like if you're passionate about it, even if people initially question like, why are you doing this? Which we definitely, you know, at Polygon, have gotten plenty of questions of like, why are you covering this? Um, but if you're passionate about it, I think in the end it's going to show. In the end, it's going to pull in the people who are interested in reading about that topic, um, and that's you know that's what matters. Writing about what you actually care about. And if they like the the sight of the personalities already, it could be infectious in that way. Where I don't care about F1, but there was something about like, man, I kind of want to be involved in this conversation with. I think it's uh, Drew and Danny who do that podcast, all F1. I'm like, well, I don't really care about F1. But what if I started watching it and then maybe this podcast would make me like it more? And like there's there's definitely that aspect to it that you kind of almost want to go along with them on that. But yeah, they're another just a site that I've always looked at is like, man, you're just so seamless at this. Uh and when you when you started poly when you started uh working for Polygon, before you had been news editor at one up, associate editor, game informer, um Again, correct me if I'm wrong. I think you're doing some freelance work at IGN beforehand. Um I've done uh, yeah, I I freelanced for everybody <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i've been in that same boat where pretty much kinda... like uh, both both in college before i worked at one up and also uh after i got laid off at one up and before i went to game informer i did lots of freelancing all over the place how nerve-wracking was it to move away from game informer and go to polygon because as a freelancer you know how difficult <laughs> it is to get a full-time job you you value that. oh man because again yeah. I, I freelanced for years and years and we're all over the place just like you and there's you know how difficult how competitive it is so that process of like all right i'm going away from a very established i don't want to use the word safe uh but you know you, you've been at this uh, place safer safer than what it was stable been around forever say. Sta- exactly stable to something like polygon which you know, the talent was there, the names were there, and the idea was solid, but you have no idea what the hell that is going to happen there. So, I mean, what was that process like? No, yeah, it's, it's, you're right. It, it is terrifying. Um, I, I definitely, <laughs> it was, a, it was one of the hardest decisions I've ever made. I loved working at Game Informer. I had a really great time there, and I love a lot of the people who are there. All the people who are there, let's say. I love all of them. Um, but the, there were two, major factors that went into my decision to leave. I'd been there for about oh three and a half years, something like that, uh, at Game Informer. Yeah. And uh when when the possibility of um of going to Polygon came up and the major factors were one, I'd grown up in Minnesota. Um and then when I worked at one up I had moved to San Francisco and then I moved back to Minnesota to work at a at Game Informer because they were located in Minneapolis. Um, I love the city of Minneapolis. Uh, I love Minnesota to some degree. I, I really hate winter. And you and me both. I lived in Pittsburgh. I get it. Yeah. Minnesota winters are, are brutal. Um, Minnesota summers aren't much better. And I was just like, I was ready to go back to San Francisco, which I had kind of fallen in love with, um, cost of living aside. Uh, and then the other thing was just that I was ready for a new challenge. Um, I, I had a ton of fun at Game Informer, but I was I was at a point after three and a half years where um, I was really comfortable. Everything that I was doing, I, I felt confident in, but I didn't feel like I was necessarily being challenged, mm-hmm. um, which was no fault uh, of anyone at GI. It was really just a like, there wasn't a lot of room for me to uh, to move in the organization at that time. Um, 
you know, there were a lot of people who had been there a long time and I don't think we're, we're necessarily going anywhere. So, uh, I was just kind of stuck being an associate editor. So yeah, I was just, I was ready to try something new and, uh, and, and just ready for a change of scenery. The weird thing is you mentioned like, yeah, I definitely had that thought of when I went to, to Polygon of like, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know if like two years from now, if this, you know, website will even exist. Right. Uh, or if I will have a job at it, if it does exist, uh, it's incredibly scary starting something new and starting something from scratch. I mean, it's exciting, but it's very, very terrifying. The, uh, the weird thing I was actually just talking with a friend about this. And I know you wanted to talk about some of the new outlets that are starting to Mm. spring up now. Um, I was talking with a friend about some of these news outlet, new outlets and I, it just hit me like polygons, the stable choice now. Yeah, <laughs> it's isn't so that weird. crazy. Cause like when it's did, such when a, did you feel, it's exciting. It has to be exciting. But when did you feel it's, like, <laughs> like at what point in your polygon tenure where you're like, okay, I can breathe a little bit now. Cause at the start, it has I to be honestly, a mad rush I to establish honestly, yourself. I honestly don't think I had stopped to think about it until just this, like, it was about a week or two so ago. A week ago, I was talking like, with a friend about Vice. Yeah, I was talking with like a friend about Vice starting their new thing and Glixel and all these new things. And I'm like, oh, that's really exciting. I know some people who are, like, talking to them, and, and it's it's going to be exciting to see what they do. And then, uh, I, and then it just kind of hit me, like, oh, my God, like, we're stable. Yeah. Polygon is stable. We've been around. We're established. And, you know, like we're doing well and I don't think we're going anywhere. Weird. That's yeah. so weird. I mean, um, I mean, it's, it feels good, but it's weird. It has to be crazy. It's one of those things where you don't read because you're working so hard to make sure nothing blows up and everything goes well and everything keeps going upward trajectory. And then you kind of it's hard to take a step back and breathe and be like, oh, we're now one of those sites. We're now one of the established sites that people think of when it's like. Let's say you're a developer and you're like, all right, I need to send code out to GameSpot, IGN, Kotaku, and Polygon. Like Polygon becomes just a part of that rotation, a part of that established few that are still around. And it, I feel like I've been yeah, saying, yeah, I saw, I saw a really, uh, not to call anyone out. I thought that I thought it was funny. I saw a funny post on PC Gamer um, about the uh, System Shock uh, mm-hmm. remaster, and we were lucky enough that we got the. Uh, the demo for the system shock, not remaster. I guess it's a full remake now. Yeah. Uh, my apologies, but we got the demo for that remake, um, a little bit earlier than everybody and got to put up a video of it before their uh, Kickstarter went up. And, uh, PC gamer had a very funny little news story with our video embedded in it, which I'm very thankful for. Thank you, PC gamer. <laughs> but, uh, but kind of like saying like, oh, I don't know why, I don't know why it is that Polygon gets this before us. Um, oh, wow. and it was exactly what you're saying. It was like yeah. just another one of those moments of realization of like, Oh, you're one of, we're one of the people now. We're one of the, the big players. Now we sometimes get something instead of PC gamer. That's weird. <laughs> it's weird to know. It's cool though. And it has to also feel I, like hey, since you've been there since the start. It has to kind of feel, I'm not saying you're taking ownership of it, but you have to feel like you're a part of what made this what it is. I think it's safe. I think it's safe to say that most of our success is due to me. Um, <laughs> I think that's definitely think, yeah. Phil Kohler's Polygon, is what you're saying. Yeah, I'm sorry. Well, it is in the name. Philip is perfect is for this instance. Yeah, it'd be great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, no, I, I, no. You're right. It's not that I would ever say like, oh, this is all because of me. But I do definitely feel uh, some pride in that, and and in having been here from 
you know, from the start. And I, I like, honestly, I'm happy with where we're going now. And that's something that I don't say lightly. Um, I'm, I'm very happy and confident in the direction that we're headed in. And there have definitely been moments in, in Polygon's life um, and moments at other publications where I've been less certain of that, yeah. um, where I probably wouldn't openly say, like, I'm really happy with where we're going. But uh, where we are now is awesome. Um, we have a lot of really great people, and, and I think it's hopefully showing in the content as well. And it takes. Ugh, I said uh, content. I said content like twice. That was one of those things that when I was writing a I'm lot, putting for, a quarter in the jar each time. <laughs> when I was writing for uh, Kevin Van Ord at Gamespot for so long, for as a freelancer, there were like certain yeah. words I try to leave out, and content and calling a game a title. That was another one where he's like, "Nope, I will just angrily yell at you every time you do this." Uh, so there's certain words that I've like almost like I feel like I get like almost shocked every time I write them or say them. Yeah, it's like I'm saying it, but I'm still like I'm getting that shock as well, but I'm yeah. still saying it for some reason. Yeah. You get that visceral, visceral reaction. It's a mixed bag. Uh, so it's really difficult to get established, as we mentioned. And I think it there's a certain point where it felt like doom and gloom with a lot of sites where there was a lot of closures. There was a lot of jobs being lost and it was a bummer for a long time. And it's. It's awesome to see Polygon doing well, and now we have Glixel, as you mentioned. Uh, Zam had hired a lot more people. Uh, Austin Walker doing big things at Vice. Uh, it's, it's. I, I try not to be like. I try to be an optimist about this stuff. It's, but it's always hard to see these new sites and think like, uh, are they going to be around? You know, what are they going to do different to stick around? What are they going to do to separate themselves? I mean, that's sure. someone who was a big part of starting a new outlet and making sure that shit was around by this time. Uh, what kind of struggles do you foresee for them? Like, what what does it take to establish yourself as a site? And I, what can they do to differentiate themselves? Oh, it's a that's a tough question. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, saying you should basically make sure these sites stay alive. But what is your investment advice? <laughs> I mean, so here's the thing. So with Vice, uh, in fact, with, with Glixel as well. I I know I know Austin, uh, very well. Austin and I are good friends. Um, and I know some of the people behind the scenes at Glixel as well. And it's, there are very smart people working on these sites. Um, I think if anyone can figure out a way to take something new and make it relevant, it's, it's Austin Walker. (laughs) Like um, I, I have a lot of confidence that he's going to be able to figure it out. Um, It is, it's really difficult. And I I don't really know the answer. Um, Honestly, with, with Polygon, a big part of it for us was like figuring out as we went along and changing directions where we needed to. Um, and sometimes that's really difficult and really hard. Yeah. Um, but that's, that's kind of all you can do. I, I have a John Davison on next week to talk more about Glixel. And again, it's just, I'm fast. I will, I will, I will be very excited to listen to that. I, yeah, I love I, John. He is fantastic great guy. And I, I'm very eager to see what he and his, uh, his crew do. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's going to be interesting. I love what they've done so far, honestly, yeah. uh, even with just the, uh, the newsletter stuff. Yeah. It's, I, um, I want that stuff to succeed so badly, but again, yeah, it, it's just like, I, I'm just fascinated to hear like what, you know, you, you can't go into this, of course, thinking like, all right, we're going to do another game coverage site because video games are popular. So this is just yeah. going to be a gold rush. And, you know, we know that's not true. We know it's not the case. So there has honestly, to be honestly, my, my, my biggest wish uh, for for all of these sites, um, and I think this is something that, like, 
hopefully you will appreciate uh, somebody who's done a lot of freelance stuff. But um, I think more and more, keeping in mind that I say this as a as a member of a site that has a fairly big full time staff, but more and more it's it's going to be harder for websites uh, or for new publications to put together the budget to like bring in a ton of people, right? Yeah. To work full time. Uh, more and more of these websites are going to be depending on freelancers. And my hope is twofold. I hope it one that these sites are really keeping an eye out and looking for new voices. Mm. Um, and two that they're making it so that that freelance budget that they're going to be depending on, they're able to like pay those freelancers. Well, yes, it's hard to do that. I totally understand the economics behind it. I can say, uh, with confidence that Zam is doing a fantastic job with freelancers. Uh, I got out of the freelance game like right around the time when I was in discussion with Zam, and just from the way they treat the people I know and the way they pay them, it's it's really good. It's great, uh, and I do hope to see that also from you know Vice and Glixel. And uh, I do also think it's important that it's it's great to have you know as many different diverse, interesting freelancers as possible. But I also like the idea of keeping people around for columns very similar to what giant bomb did when austin walker is there and i hope sure. they continue to do that because i've talked with nick capazzoli about this a lot it's really difficult as a freelancer to establish yourself and get kind of an audience for you know who you are unless you are this twitter savant who can get a whole bunch of followers but when you're moving from site to site and you don't have like a consistent home uh for videos for anything like that it's hard to establish yourself. It's hard to really get yourself out there as more of just like, you know, people see your byline and say, who is that? You don't want that. You want people to know who you are. I mean, that's something you did with, uh, I look at like stream friends that you did with, and Austin Walker is a part of that, correct? Yeah, he was. Uh, that's something that I think is super beneficial that, you know, if you, I think a lot of freelancers need to do more stuff like that or podcasts or stuff like that. So it's like, Hey, look, like I'm, I'm selling my content. I'm on these different sites, but Here's kind of my hub for you to understand my thoughts on things, my opinions, my uh, personality. And uh, I, I do hope that, you know, it'd be great if Glixel and Zam and Vice had a lot of great free, uh, full-time people. But I agree that, you know, freelance people, a lot of, a big budget for that and a good opportunity for them to show who they are. That'd be awesome if there were more sites and like to that. And be, to be clear, I know a handful, like I know people behind the scenes at both of these mm-hmm. i have no clue what their budget situation is like yeah. or what their plans are for any of that so it's entirely possible that i'm completely off base and they're gonna hire a dozen full-time editors each um Hopefully. i just i just assume that's not the case because it's it's hard you know it's hard to it's hard to commit to that although you know vice is a major you know vox we were able to do that at polygon we were able to hire as many people as we have because Vox is a major media corporation, um, and Vice is certainly a major media corporation as well. So maybe, maybe. There's still some good freelance opportunities out there, but yeah, the more the merrier. I, it would be amazing yeah. for people to have more opportunities like that. Or maybe, you know, even better in some ways, a lot of those freelancers get picked up as full-time staff for these different sites. But again, like you, I'm not sure what the... Like, I'm going to ask all these hard questions to John and see what he says, see what he can actually tell me. Because I would love to know. I will be listening. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm very interested as well. I'm just, uh, honestly, I'm just excited to see both of these uh, new sites and whatever else might be coming, uh, come into existence. I'm always, always excited when there's new stuff, like new people trying new things in the uh, games media space. Because uh, long before I was writing about games, I was reading everything I could get my hands on about games. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm obsessively. Uh, always reading not just polygon but 
every other gaming site out there. So, uh, so just like seeing new stuff and new people is, is just, yeah, I'm excited about it. We were getting to a point too, where I was worried, uh, you know, when I was coming through high school and college, I was very much you know like you, I was reading everything. I was, you know, my, my goal was always like, Oh, I want to be on a game informer or a game spot or an IGN or something like that. Um, kind of had a game plan for what I want to do. You know, you start a blog or maybe you write for a smaller site, you build yourself up, you start freelancing. And, uh, I had gotten a lot of emails after you start, you know, writing for bigger sites, you get a lot of emails from people who were in your position before asking like, all right, what do I do to get here? And when, when joystick was gone and when I, I, there's another site that I think game pro was gone. A lot of these different sites were gone and, uh, freelancer budgets aren't, you know, as big as they were, it was hard to tell people like, all right, do exactly what I did and you'll do just fine. Cause I didn't know what the landscape would be like by the time they got out of high school and college. Who knows? Like maybe I'm just like, yeah. I don't know, go start a, a Twitch channel and make sure you get a let's play voice developing. And that'll sound it's real. Not a, it's not a bad idea. Yeah. It's, um, not still. <laughs> yeah, it's still not. Uh, it's, it's honestly, it's hard because it's, I feel like it's always been, and you know, I've gotten, I, I've been asked, how did you get into this? Or, you know, how do I do what you did a, a billion times? Um, I think the, the difficult thing, and, you know, I, tr- I still try to talk to people about it and give the best advice I can. The tough thing is that we're in an industry where, in games media, that is, where there's so few jobs on the whole um, that it's hard to talk about a, a singular path to get in because everybody has their own weird path that they've taken. Um, there's just is there's so few jobs that there can't really be that many commonalities um it's, other than other than being a white dude which is <laughs> that's usually not, the best not a great way. advice yeah it's not exactly the best but that was actually one of the reasons I started this podcast was just for exactly what you said because uh Nathan Minier wrote uh up up down down left right which really helped me yeah which starting. is great it's a great that book. Is a fantastic book that you know what that's that's uh and and it has kind of worked its way into my like when people ask me i i usually point them in that direction yeah that's what i did for the longest time and i'm not even kidding this sounds like some weird infomercial i'm trying to sell it i read that book in two days a week later i got a pitch accepted by ign like that's that's how quick that was uh and that was where i pointed to people for a while and uh but like you i noticed that there's not one way everyone has, you know, some people write for free for three years and then find something. Some people land on it in their first try. So I got in through, uh, writing, uh, for a smaller fan site yep. for, for many years and also doing a podcast. Oh, and now it's like, I need that's no, what's the name of the site that you wrote for? I were, I were, I wrote for evil avatar, which is still around. It's still a, it's a good name. Yeah. It's I, a, it's a sort of, sort of PC focused fan site, um, still around. Uh, but I wrote for them in college and also hosted their podcast. And that's sort of how I eventually got in. Yeah. It's, it's a good way of doing it. I wrote for a site called stick skills, which is a fantastic name for a website. Ooh. Uh, and also, uh, PSN fans. And then I did a, I'd hosted their podcast and you didn't, was, uh, you didn't tell me that you have stick skills. I didn't realize. I got some just sick stick skills. I was the editor in chief of stick skills, which sounds like an awful pickup line, but like that, it was, that site was a really influential in that way too. And podcast did that. And yeah, it's, it's just fun to talk to people, uh, like Patrick Klepek, like you, like, um, Greg Kasavin, 
Profet on here, just like, hey, how did you get into this? Because no one has one way of doing it, but there's kind of different things you could pick out of everyone's specific path that makes sense for someone coming up where it's like, maybe write for a small site, maybe start a podcast, maybe have a YouTube channel and do, I don't know, do video essays. Because I think that's a certain thing that people don't do that much right now that I think could do really well. Uh, where you take a feature and you add some gameplay or interesting editing behind it. And uh, I know Patrick Klepik does that and other people. Maybe you put an amiibo in your mouth and you uh, do a video like that. And I mean, that's the future. Yeah, it probably is the future. I got to say, Monster Factory and uh, Griffin's Amiibo Corner, two things that like I get excited when I see a tweet saying it's coming soon. I I do too. <laughs> that is some next level, like the the recent Second Life stuff. I was like, I only, I usually work from home. I was in the office for I'm usually like one day a week. I was in the office and I was watching it, and I could not like stop laughing to a point where someone had asked me to stop and like you need to leave because like it's just it's that good. So what I'm saying is keep it up, Polygon on the video front. That shit's great. How much video experience did you have before you started working at Polygon? Was that something that you knew you had to really dig in uh, deep for video? Um. I had actually started getting video experience over at Game Informer. Um, we did a, uh, well, they still do a weekly series called Replay. Mm-hmm. That is just, um, Game Informer has this incredible vault of games, um, that they've collected over the years. Uh, I want to say there's something like 14,000 games in there or something. Some, some just absurd amount. Um, it's probably not 14,000. It might Mario be 14,000. Yeah, they're all just, well, it's Party. all Mario Party. Yeah. But uh, every every week on replay, um, it goes up every Saturday, and they uh, they play they pick a random game out of the vault and play it uh, for like twenty minutes, just to like check out different games, uh, different old games, and um, reminisce. Uh, so we did replay. Um, it was really cool and uh, really fun. But at some point, the person who was editing replay for us left. Um, and we were sort of in a long stretch of looking for the right person to hire, uh, as a video editor there. Um, so I kind of like, we needed somebody to step up and be willing to edit. I had no real edit video editing experience, but kind of recognized that it probably wouldn't be a bad idea to get some. Definitely not. Um, so I just threw myself into it and sort of learned the, the very minimal basics of how to use Premiere. Um, and now I am just barely beyond that. A video guru, you mean? You are now a video guru. I'm a video guru. Yeah, a video guru. No, no, I'm, I'm barely beyond that. The, so the thing about Monster Factory, I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you this, but I'm going to tell oh, you Oh, yes, I get this. The thing, about Monster Factory, the thing about Monster Factory that's incredible that I, I don't know how many people realize it, but um, all of the editing for that is done by Griffin. Yeah. If you want somebody who's a video guru, like Griffin went from no video editing experience or very little, I guess, probably not no, um, but very little video editing experience to like doing these like really intense, uh, complicated cuts with monster factory. He's doing like ton of editing, um, infinitely more than I have ever done in any video. They're just special. Like there's something about it where it's also, you know, you also have to have a certain comedic timing, but goddamn. Like, and again, if anyone is listening and they want to write about games, you should probably learn some sort of video editing, at least a little bit, because I've mentioned this before in this podcast. I was up for two separate full-time jobs at major sites, and the crossroads in the interview process was like, 
what kind of video editing do you know and how much yep. on camera experience do you have and that was before we even got to any discussion of what's your writing like though and uh that was a little bit of a shock so definitely look into that uh and i cannot uh let you leave without at least talking a little bit about game reviews because i think the most the most time i spend on this podcast is either complaining or praising game reviews so uh what do you kind of feel like the state of games criticism is right now because way back in the day they kind of felt like product reviews in a certain way where it was almost a math equation to get to a number and right now we're different in that there's a lot of uh diverse opinions there's a lot of people who are digging into games in ways that no one had really considered before you know we look at games more as quote-unquote art now so we can judge them in different ways like do you think sure. is games criticism healthy right now is it deserves uh, diverse enough is is there too much of a fan culture kind of nature around some games criticism what do you kind of what's your kind of take on it right now i have mixed feelings um i think I think in general, um, I like the place that games criticism is in and game reviews are in, um, from the perspective of there is a wider variety of, of perspectives than we've ever had. Um, I feel like when something comes out, like, like, let's say, uh, I remember, I think it was Mirror's Edge Catalyst came out, um, last month. Oh, I loved it. And, and I remember seeing three or four reviews from three or four different sites, including Polygon all with wildly varying scores. And I love that. And wildly varying perspectives in the text. Um, I think that's cool. I think that's healthy. Um, I think that's interesting to get a lot of different people with different points of views. I know I know. some readers feel the opposite. Some readers are like, well, one of these must have been wrong. Like, Or like in that case, we had one of the higher scores. We gave it an eight. And they were like, well, you must have been wrong an 8 out of 10. Uh, just... You must have been wrong to give it an 8 out of 10 because it got bad reviews from all these places. God, it's like almost readers have been oddly programmed in that way where if there are a whole bunch of 9s and 10s, let's say Uncharted 4, and that one person's like, I think this is a 7. Like, well, let me reference this. You are wrong because I Listen, I'm, I'm the dude who gave The Last of Us a 7.5. So oh, I but that is it. wrong. That's objectively wrong. I don't know. <laughs> Well, got a lot of tens and a lot of nines. Uh, people were very unhappy about that. But I, I, I like that we're getting uh, more of a, a wide range of opinions. Um, I think that the quality of writing in video game reviews, uh, in general, still has a long way to go. Yeah. And that's very much. I'm, I'm not trying to attack anyone because I mean, I mean it in my reviews as much as anything. Uh, I, I think that, I guess what I, what I, for me, the, the issue and part of this is just with the relentless pace of video games. Um, there's always new stuff coming out. There's always more to do. Um, the, the relentless pace of games media in general. But like, I, I, I worry that a lot of publications and a lot of individual writers don't take the time to go back and reread their old stuff and really critically look at it and say, could I have gotten my point across better here? Yeah. Could I have done better on this? Um, and I, I again, I'm also uh, certainly guilty of this. I wish that I took more time to do that. Um, it's hard. I try to, but I it's mean, it's tough to find that time, especially during like a holiday season where you know you have a game, and then as soon as that one's done, here comes the next one. You don't have the luxury to either, you know, like you said, look back at what you did before and improve upon it, or even really sit down with your critical thoughts and think like, okay, am I 
you know, am I overlooking this? Am I spending too much time on this? Because you just need to it's, on to the next one. It's also hard because the conversation around games and around game reviews, especially, is often so volatile yeah. that, like, I could never really go onto Twitter and say, "Oh, I was reading this review from two years ago," um, and and then openly talk about where I think I could have done better, um, because that would become ammunition for <laughs> for people who want to say you know like when my next review comes out that they disagree with they would be able to point that and be like well look this guy doesn't even stand oh, behind God, what he said that sucks um, like that's which it sucks yeah, it's like it's, it's, it's stuff that i yeah it's stuff that i would like to have open conversations about but i can't it has to be all internal which makes it harder as well um or or internal to at least people who you trust to not talk about it, i guess but uh and it's not even something where i'm saying like oh Gosh, if I went back to the Last of Us review, I would definitely give it a higher score because that's not the case. But maybe there's some stuff in that review that I wish I could have voiced better. Or maybe there's a point that I missed. Yeah. Or maybe there's something I said in the wrong way or that in a way that I think detracted from what I was trying to say. Um, there's all these ways that as, as a writer, we can always be improving. We can always be figuring out how to um, communicate what we're trying to say better. And... I want more video game reviewers to be uh, doing that with the reviews. Um, I, I I worry that not enough people are. No, I I agree. That includes and myself too. I'm not trying. This isn't like a call out. No, and yeah, and in particular. When I, whenever I talk about like I want games writing to be better, I would never say like because I'm up on this pedestal and you guys suck and you need to catch up. Like never because although, although have you read my reviews? That shit is good. It's, it's pretty it's fucking really good. good. Yeah, I know. It's I brought good. you on here just to say like, damn. Everyone needs to start writing like you, but I could I could imagine like like Overwatch would be a very difficult game to review because that would be one where I would look back and probably say like oh now that I've played this twenty thirty hours more I didn't really realize this or I didn't maybe mm-hmm. something I criticized I didn't realize like this fixes that part this other character balances this out and I think a lot of reviews they're done in, they're I don't want to use the word rushed because again I, I I there's a lot of great reviews out there. But it's hard to spend the time that you should with a game when you want to review it because you want to make sure you're hitting that, you know, when the embargo lifts or when it's still relevant. Because in the end, you're still trying to, you know, you're making money off this and you need to make sure people are actually reading the stuff. It's a tough balance, certainly. Um, I, I also think, I also think this issue kind of extends beyond just reviews into games media in general, but like, it's it, that idea of like, it's hard to go back and talk about what you could have done better or admit where you've made mistakes. Um, yeah, that, that expands more broadly. Um, games media organizations want to be seen as an authority. Yeah. Um, and anytime that you admit that you screwed something up, um, or don't admit it as it were, yeah. um, people are going to use that as, as again, as ammunition. Yeah. Um, which is unfortunate because I think it would be better to be able to have those conversations. Um, and I can say certainly, uh, I have those conversations with other people in the industry or with coworkers a lot and it, it helps us grow in my opinion, a lot more. It needs to be talked about. And it, it, again, I wish it could be talked about more publicly, but like you said, it's, you lose you oddly lose credibility when you admit that something either you wrote or you said was not as accurate as you want it to be or maybe just didn't make as much sense as you thought it did it's it's hard to go back on that stuff uh and i I, yeah in all sorts of coverage i hopefully will get to a point 
where we're able to do that. Um, and also hopefully we'll get to the point where there's like this level of maturity to the way reviews are taken where you can see a Mirror's Edge catalyst getting a 5 out of 10 from one site and then a 10 out of 10 from another site. That's okay. It doesn't mean one person's wrong or someone missed the mark. It just means that people have varying opinions and games are weird things to critique and add a number to. Like, yeah, I mean, um, it's, 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 uh, when I, so, okay, like, here's a, a, a direct example. I just reviewed the new Star Ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, integrity and faith and faithlessness. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, my two defining, uh, features, <laughs> integrity and faithlessness. Uh, I gave it a five out of 10, and it just so happened that GameSpot and Game Informer both also gave it a five out of 10. Um, both two, two reviewers who I really like. Um, and I, and I read their reviews and, you know, was, they, they wrote totally fine reviews. I was, you know, relieved to some degree to see that I wasn't the only one who felt this way, right? Yeah. But there's a part of me that when I see people, giving it the exact same score I did um, people, especially people whose reviews I like reading um, it bums me out because I feel like I'm going to get less out of reading that review. Yeah. Right. Oh, like yeah. I'm like, I, I read that review and I'm like, okay. I mean, in, in the case of like, let's say game spots for, for an example, that was by Alexa Ray Korea. Um, she, she gave it a five out of 10. She actually had some major differences in what she liked and disliked compared to me. So that was cool. When I when I read another reviewer's review of a game I also reviewed, I want to hear about what they thought differently than I did. I love um, reading stuff like that. Like I loved Firewatch. Yeah. I want to read a review from someone who thought Firewatch was like mostly trash. As long as sure. it makes a good point, it's not just saying like yeah, I fucking yeah, hate like walking. Still... Walking stupid because like okay, well I disagree with that, but yeah, you yeah, want to read this to, stuff. It like needs that. to argue its points well, but I want to. I want to read reviews of people who don't agree with me arguing their points well. I go on to gaff whenever I write a review. Uh, oh, dangerous. Which, you know, may, maybe not the most <laughs> uh, healthy choice I could make, but I go, I go on to gaff and a big part of it is to see what other people are thinking and to see the people who feel differently than me and try and get it, like dig into like, okay, why did they like this when I didn't? Or why do they dislike this when I did like it? Um, and, I think that's cool. I think that's interesting. I think that's part of what makes games interesting and, and media in general and art in general interesting is getting those different perspectives. Um, so yeah, I think, I think having more variety in, uh, in what people like and dislike is, is awesome. It makes and you I think a that's a better critical thinker too. It makes you maybe, yeah, again, maybe you look at something like, Oh, I never even thought of looking at it that way. Or I never even thought of this aspect and how it plays with this aspect. Even if like, it's hard not to have when you're a fan of video games and someone says like, Oh, I think this video game you really are passionate about sucks. You kind of have that strange gut reaction of like, Oh, I think you're wrong. But it's, I think it's important to like push that aside and read and understand why this person thinks that way. And again, maybe, maybe it'll even make you appreciate the game more. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. Um, maybe it'll make you, you know, realize there was something there that you didn't quite get the first time through. And, and it's also something where I think it ties into like, uh, you talked about the difference between like product reviews and criticism. Um, when when games were more in the realm, when game reviews were more in the realm of product reviews, I think a big part of a game review was you were making a case for why someone should or shouldn't buy it. Yes. Um, and to me, that isn't 
what my reviews are about for the most part. I mean, there's probably some cases where I would specifically say, do not buy this. But for the most part, my reviews aren't like when I give The Last of Us a 7.5, I'm not saying you should or shouldn't buy it. Although 7.5 is a good score. So yeah, really go is. ahead. Um, but like one of the, one of the arguments that I see come up sometimes is like, oh, well, you gave this a really low score, but millions of people bought it. So you must be wrong. <laughs> it's like, no, I don't like, I wasn't saying not to buy it. I'm, I'm glad people bought it. I'm not a, I am not against video games being bought. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, I would not keep my job if games are not being bought, probably. Yeah, uh, that's, it, it, it has been looked at as buyer's advice for a long time, which again, like, that's not, it's, it's not what I did when I was reviewing games. It's not what you do. You're, you're, I want, I certainly, I want people to, through my reviews, know what they're getting into mm-hmm. and have a, have a really strong sense of like, why I, like, a really clear, feeling of what it is that i found to like or dislike um but i'm certainly not saying like well that means you should or shouldn't buy it like you can then judge that based off of your own feelings i I totally agree and i also think in general there's a lot of different ways to review a game and i think there's a lot of valid ways to review a game it might either you know start talking about the game but really dig into a cultural or some sort of kind of modern theme that's going on and suddenly you can or it might just be a product review it might read like you're trying to critique an HDTV and I'm fine if if someone is just looking for that then those should be well, that, there. Well that yeah there is there's that as well is like there's a million different ways to approach it and if you want to be you know the website or the reviewer who does approach it like a product review you know, absolutely go ahead. There's probably people who want to read it that way, um, whether or not it's what I'm interested in. I think that I think what we're getting at here is like it's just it's healthier for us as a as games media as a whole to have that variety of of perspectives and approaches. Yeah, exactly. But the only review that really matters is uh, my forthcoming Pokemon Go review, which uh, might actually just be a review of these three apps that I download that are off-brand Pokemon apps. So That sounds great. Look for that on uh, PokemonGoFans.com. Phil, thank you so much for talking with me for the last hour. Pokemon I... Go Fans, the new site from Vox Media and SB yeah! Nation. Oh, man, I got a Polygon. Or did you just steal my idea? <laughs> yeah, no, we, we launched it. We bought the... Well, you, well, we were talking here, I bought the URL. Oh, shit. And... Can I We're be live now, editor? so nope. Uh, well, it's just me. <laughs> uh, Phil, if people want to find you on Twitter or see what you're doing on Polygon and the Rift Herald, which, which, where should they look? Oh, uh, who can even say? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter, twittercom pkoller. That's P-K-O-L-L-A-R. Um, you can go to Polygon.com, of course, to find whatever stuff I'm writing. I'm mostly writing reviews, but uh, also, uh, occasionally doing something like opinion pieces or news pieces as well. Um, I've got an opinion piece going up tomorrow, tomorrow from when we're recording. I don't know when this podcast goes up. Uh, but, uh Monday? It'll, it'll go up eventually. Okay. Well, it'll be, this opinion piece will be up, but I'm doing an opinion piece about the Counter-Strike gambling scene. That should be interesting. Oh, fun. That apology um, thing just came out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apology and then, and then, uh, of course, the Rift Herald is just the Rift Herald or RiftHerald.com. Um, and that is our League of Legends site. If you love League of Legends, definitely go check that out. Maybe, maybe bookmark it, maybe check in every once in a while. But we cover the esports and the just general game culture side of League of Legends. Um, and then I'm doing videos at YouTube.com slash Polygon, uh, doing weekly, uh, Hearthstone videos and sometimes other stuff. 
Great. Well, Phil, I it's great to actually talk to you because I've read a lot of your stuff since you know IGN and since Game Informer, uh, and I'm super happy that Polygon has been doing so well and that you could finally breathe and realize like, hey, everything's okay. This is now an established okay. site. We'll uh, probably be all right. Yeah, you'll probably be all right. Knock on the wood that is my desk. And yeah. yeah, thank you for being part of episode 50 of this. Thank you for inviting me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, and thank you to everyone for listening. Hopefully tune back in for the next episode, probably with John Davison or Alex Navarro. It's one of the two for the next episode of the 1099.